2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. The images that I saw kind of stuck with me, and that's um, kind of my first understanding of what sex was supposed to be, plus my false understanding of I have to please a man sexually in order to be loved. And I said the only way that I'm going to be able to live better is if you give me a new heart that wants to live that way, like through and through wants to live that way. And after I prayed that, I just felt peace because I trusted that it was true. Yo, welcome to the Death Alive podcast. My name is Richard Young, and this episode is with a new friend. I haven't ever met her in person, but she's my sister in Christ. Her name is Lindsay Vandenberg. And Lindsay's story is um, got a lot of death in it. Man, I always try to figure out how to describe these stories. There, There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> You're just going to have to listen to the story. Lindsay uh, is walking in Christ after seeing who she is, but the journey to get there and the lies that she believed, um, I think, as they're being revealed are just, it's so beautiful. And we're about, and we're about to get into it. Um, that all being said, let's just, let's just jump into the podcast. This is Lindsay Vandenberg. Hear ye her. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Buckle up, strap in. Man, this is real talk. God is loving on me. Colorful and innocent, that's on me. Got me standing in the light, and it's on me. It's a new heart, it's a new beat. It's a new thing, it's a new seed. It's a new king, it's a new dream. It's a new thing, uh, it's a new Lindsay. Got me singing like. Uh, where do you feel like your story when it comes to spirituality? Where does it start? Um, Spirituality. I mean, I've. From my earliest memories, I believed in God. So I guess from when I was born, I guess, I don't know. Like, um, yeah, my, my mom raised me Seventh-day Adventist, so I just believed in God from the get-go. Do you remember 
what you believed about him or what kind of formed as you were growing up? Um, yeah, from the get go, I, I just, I believe that he loved me, but the issue was I, I believe that he loved me like in spite of me, like the idea, like you're a pile of dung with snow on top. It's sort of what I uh-huh. understood. Um, and it only got worse as life went along because the more mistakes I would make, the bigger heap of dung I become. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of where it started. That idea of God. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think a lot of us resonate with that. So yeah, as you're growing up, I mean, give us a little, a little background of of who you are, where you come from, and and just like, where do you feel like your story starts to take a turn or that you said mistakes were being made? Mm -hmm. Like, what were the lies that were coming in? Just give us a little bit of your your background. Um, I was kind of like right away kind of born into a dysfunctional family. My parents divorced when I was really young. Um, and so that sort of made me feel very un, like insecure just in my own family. Like because I was so young, I didn't understand what was going on, but there was just a lot of chaos and, um, you know, my family was understandably like dealing with, that and stuff so I felt a little bit neglected um and confused and just I don't know so I felt a little bit like invisible growing up um even though I was the baby of the family which usually has like the stereotype of being like the spoiled kid or whatever but I felt like I was I had the opposite so I just kind of felt like unloved I guess and then um because I was so desperate for love, I was like reaching for it and searching everywhere for it. Um, and how old were you when your parents got divorced? Uh, I think I was three and a half. And then, oh wow! And then my dad got remarried pretty quickly to um, a woman that was once my mom's good friend. So like, we like she was kind of my family friend. So we like we all our families we're already close like that. So it was just, it was a little bit confusing for me as a toddler, (laughs) like suddenly my parents aren't together, but you know, this other woman in my life who was like my family's friend is now with my dad and it was confusing, but, um, yeah. So I was, I don't know. I was desperate for love and attention and, uh, some of the male figures, in my life or just looking out into the world in general, I saw a lot of, uh, lust and stuff like that. And so I started to, I had this idea creating in my mind that, uh, in order to get love and attention, you had to, you know, satisfy a man's lust pretty much. And it was, it was pretty dark, but, um, that, sort of like psychologically messed up my mind and as I went on and like throughout high school and everything like that um and speaking of like just seeing less like that I was um and being exposed to it I was I think like five or six years old when I was exposed to porn and Mm -hmm. um you know unwillingly so I mean I didn't even know what it was and it kind of scared me when I was watching it I didn't know why but it's sort of it's sort of like watching like a car accident you know happen like you don't like can't look away yeah you just can't 
look away and it was, I didn't understand why I was feeling scared of it, but I was, but I couldn't stop looking at it. And, uh, but luckily I didn't have any, I mean, I didn't have access to a computer at that time, but that the images that I saw kind of stuck with me. Um, and that, just that weird, the entire experience, like kind of shook me up a bit. And that's, um, kind of my first understanding of, or what I thought was, you know, what sex was supposed to be. And so that experience, plus my false understanding of like, I have to please a man sexually in order to be loved kind of a thing. It just like, that's, I don't know. That was like the first major turn, I guess, in my life. And it started really young. Um, yeah. So you see these images, they're confusing. You keep looking at them. When did, like, you're seeing these at a young age, when you're getting into middle school or junior high and now everyone's talking about it, what was sex to you? It was literally just for guys, I guess. And it was the woman's job to satisfy them. Like, it was so bad, but... That's really what I thought it was. And especially, I don't want to jump the gun, but like there was something that happened then in high school that, uh, well, maybe I'll just go there. Now we can go backwards if we have to, to address other stuff. But my first year of high school, I got raped. And that was, um, that just like really solidified my, poor understanding of what sex was and everything like that. So like, yeah, I just, I just thought that I was like, I hated it and it was, I felt terrible and I didn't like it. I was in so much pain, you know, but I, I thought, well, wow, this is, I guess what sex is, you know, like you gotta just have to do it because that's just the way it works. If a guy wants it, then that's, it's your job to do it. And so I got kind of trapped in this, cycle of thinking where I was constantly running from the pain of this idea that I had about sex mm. and lust and everything. But at the same time, I was like, uh, motivated and de determined to fill that role of a woman, like what I thought, because I so desperately wanted love and I thought that was the way to get it. So I just got trapped in this cycle. Was, was this your first sexual experience? Yeah. And so you didn't want it. You felt terrible, but you felt like this is what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it took me a long time to even admit that that's like it was rape because I mean, I was, I was drugged, you know, so I didn't, uh, I obviously didn't consent or anything. I was also only 13 years old. So like, that's an issue, <laughs> but I didn't understand any of this stuff at the time. So like, I, I didn't understand that that's, that was rape. I just thought, you know, that's just how it works. And so I, I felt, uh, I don't know. I felt like shame, like that was bad, but I was like, I have, that's just, it was normal. Was this with somebody that you thought you had cared about or that you still thought you cared about? No, he was like, a. um, what had happened was he, he was a senior. I was a freshman. Um, he was, I wouldn't even, consider him like a friend we just he was like somebody that 
you'd pass through in the hallway and say hi or chat for like 30 seconds. We didn't really know each other or anything like that, but he uh, had invited me to a party. And um, at this time in my life, I was like, you know, using substances and everything to numb from other pain and things. So I like, I was always looking for an excuse to like drink or whatever. And so, um, and being invited to my first party in high school, I thought like, wow, like how cool I get to like go to a party and everything, but I was nervous to go alone. So I brought my really close friend at the time. Um, and then, you know, I got drugged while I was there. So I don't, I hardly remember anything until like just little, pulsating mm-hmm. like flashbacks or like just I would like come to just for like a second while you know I was in that state of mind um but yeah no to answer your question no I didn't I didn't really know him that well or anything so after that you had like a complete kind of mixed bag feelings towards sex it was like I don't like that but I guess I'm supposed to like it because we're all supposed to like it Tell me about the the thought process towards this thing that just has been perverted because of just evil. Um, I I don't know. I just got like I said. I was on this this cycle of like running away from the pain of it with substances and such, and at the same time running towards it so that I could like feel like I was doing what I was supposed to do. Um, also this guy, I mentioned he was a senior on purpose because he was already like, uh, established at that school. Like everybody knew who he was and what he was about and everything. I was just a freshman and nobody, I kind of hid from everybody. So nobody knew me. So it was kind of, and I didn't really care to, I didn't want to tell people what happened anyway, but he, you know, to, I guess, protect himself shared with some buddies that like it was consensual and stuff like that. And so, and you know how high school is like, it's just news spreads like a wildfire. And soon everybody just sort of labeled me as like that kind of girl, you know? Uh Um, and so I just kind of with frustration, I guess, and not knowing what else to do and who else I was or anything. I, I just kind of ran with it. I, I adopted that label and just ran with it. Yeah. That reminds me of, of Morgan's story, right? I don't know if you remember it, but she gets accused of this thing she didn't do. Mm-hmm. And then she's just like, Hey, if y'all think I'm like this, well, maybe I'll just be like this. Yeah. Um, what was your self image? Like, how did you view yourself? like coming into high school and then after all of this? Uh, I felt pretty worthless because I, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't being treated very well. And I thought, I thought that because people were treating me that way, it meant because it meant that I was not good enough to be treated well. So I thought that their treatment of me were like, reflected who I actually was or my worth or my value. So if they're not treating me like I was valuable, then I must not be valuable. So I didn't feel too great about myself, especially when I just like kept, like I said, on that hamster wheel, I just kept like, I was chasing after like this awful dark 
thing, even though I hated it, but I just kept doing it and it made me feel worse and worse about myself. And like, like I was throwing myself into these situations and then getting hurt by being in those situations. And then <laughs> I don't know if part of it was because I was like trying to like control what I, like if you're going to treat me bad, I'm going to at least be in control of this and like let you treat me better. I don't know what was going on, but yeah, this is so sad. What did you think about God? Like how did, uh, what did God think about you um, in your mind at this time? Yeah, this is where I said we might have to go backwards a little bit because there's, there was kind of a shift in uh, my childhood, which caused me to think God sort of changed his attitude towards me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a lot younger, I, if I could like create a visual of how I felt God felt towards me he was like always smiling with at me like he was happy with me he loved me um up until I got my ears pierced and went to church and the the lady pulled me aside and you know kind of reprimanded me for glorifying myself and taking glory from God or whatever and I because I didn't quite understand like the full image of who God was and his character and his love and his forgiveness and all this stuff. I kind of took what she said at face value or as though it was almost as though God himself was saying those things to me through her. And so then my image of him shifted to now I saw him like with his arms crossed and, you know, shaking his head, like what a shame, you know, you were so pure before and look at you now. And so, yeah. Were, were you surprised when she said this stuff or were you kind of like waiting for people to say something and when she said it, it hurt more than you thought it would? I was shocked. <laughs> I, didn't, wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, like some, I guess, legalistic uh, religious, whatever people had that kind of thing about jewelry until that point. <laughs> so I, I was pretty shocked. And because it, to me, in my mind, that was such a small thing to wear earrings. I, I was thinking like, well, man, if, if God like is so, so disapproving of just me wearing jewelry, like he must, if he knew everything else that I've seen and done and thought and felt and everything else, then like he would just want to blot me out of like, he would regret creating me because like I've made way bigger mistakes than wearing earrings to church, you know? So that's at that point I kind of gave up on the whole idea. I, I just realized I got part of it right. I realized I couldn't be good on my own. You know, I needed him, but I, I didn't get that part yet. I just thought, you know, I'll never be able to be good enough. So I just give up and I kind of put God on the back burner and I was fooling myself because I had thought at the time that God being so disappointed in me kind of put himself on the back burner. He would kind of just like distance himself because I was like too, you know, rowdy or something. But really it was me like not understanding who God was. And I like placed him on the back burner and just continued to live. However, because I didn't think that I could live good enough for him. Well, there's a couple things you had right and a couple things you had wrong. Like you said, of course you couldn't. Yeah. 
like none of us could. We were dead. And C.S. Lewis has this quote that says, God didn't come as a man to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Mm -hmm. And we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Uh, jewelry not being one of those sins and transgressions, <laughs> we were we were dead because we were alienated and, and an enemy towards God because of birth. Mm -hmm. Like this was born into us, not through any fault of our own. Uh, and then obviously we participated in it. But this is, this is I mean, obviously this is horrible. Um, so then you're just like, I can't, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um and so I don't know what the 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 hardworking churchgoer thinks is going to happen when they say shame on you for such and such. I have no idea. <laughs> I think they feel ashamed and so that's why they're there and so they're going to shame I I mean I guess I probably do know cuz I used to think like that. And it's just like if people could just get it right. Mhm. Mm if people could work a little bit hard, harder, then their lives would be easier or better. Mm -hmm. But that's not it. Um, so you go into high school and it sets your path and uh, God is kind of not on that path anymore, huh? No. Um, yeah, I didn't really think much about him at all until sometime like I think I was in my sophomore year I got invited to Young Life I don't know if you've heard of Young Life it's like a um, worldwide non-profit non-denominational like youth program where uh, you go to like your Young Life leader's house it's, a, it's for high schoolers so all high schoolers who wanted it to go, they'd go to the youth leader's house and play a bunch of ridiculous games and just hang out. And uh, at the end, they'd give like a 10 minute, short, easy, simple talk about Jesus. And then they'd send you home. And it was kind of, okay. it was kind of targeted towards uh, kids who like weren't really sure about God yet, or, you know, didn't understand anything, weren't raised in it, whatever people who had questions. So that's why it was just, they were just sort of easing you into the idea was like with those little short talks at the end, but um, the talks about God didn't, I mean, I, at no point did I not believe in God. So like when they had the talks, I appreciated them and stuff, but I didn't really, uh, really digest them and like think about them and apply them or anything. I just was like, cool talk, be here next week for the yeah. games. <laughs> but <laughs> what really, uh, drew me in I mean, like kept me coming not only just for the games but the the leaders like just loved me so much they loved all I mean they loved us all so much that uh and that was really impactful for me because they like seemed to not see any of like what I was doing they just saw me for me and they loved me for me <laughs> and despite anything that I did and that was pretty profound so I just kept going. And then, uh, so there was like this weekly thing where we'd meet and play games and talk, whatever. And then over the summer times, they would invite you to go to a summer camp where all the surrounding regions, wherever Young Life was, they would all meet 
in like the middle at wherever the closest camp was. So there'd be like hundreds and hundreds of kids from all over the place get together and spend a week and play even more ridiculous games and have a little bit longer of talks <laughs> after like the day and everything. Um, and there was one evening where the speaker was, uh, I can't remember all the details. It was a long time ago now, but she was talking about how Jesus was like, he died for us, but she was really pressing the point that it was like personally for us. It wasn't just for like those people, you know, it was like, God's a personal God and he died for you because he loves you and all this stuff. And, um, that was pretty impactful for me because like I had said, I kind of, God was on the back burner. He was not involved in my life and he wasn't interested in being involved in my life. You know, he was distant. So for her to say that like he loved me specifically and like personally, he wanted, he was wanted to be intimate with me and all this stuff. It was like blowing my mind, but it was hard for me to believe. And I think she may have sensed that, reaction maybe from others or something so she had everybody go outside it was nighttime at this point um and she said everybody like spread out go pick a spot on the field by yourself and just pray and listen um and so we did and I was praying and I um I was saying God I don't like understand how or why you would love me now I said I was like I know that when I was a little girl, I was like so pure and innocent and all this stuff. But like, look at me now, like I don't understand how you could love me anymore. And uh, that was like one of the first or most impactful times I'd ever heard him speak to me or like recognized him speaking to me. He said, you will always be my little girl, like referring to like I'm like I, I when I mentioned little girl, I meant like I was pure and innocent and clean and. You know, and he was saying, no, you're still my little girl. You're still all of those things. But and I was just started bawling. I, it really meant a lot to me, except still the, the same problem was still there because I still believed like I believed he loved me, but it was still in spite of myself. Like I he just out of pity, he chose to view me that way. But I wasn't actually clean and pure and innocent you know he just really wanted to see me that way so he chose to but in reality I wasn't still so it was like a nice heartwarming like word that I heard from him that night and it really moved me and like I wanted him more in my life after that but it, it still didn't click like who I was or how much he loved me man you're making me want to go and hug my daughter right now. <laughs> She's in the next room. She's nine years old. So, like, you believed that God loved you, but you didn't believe in his creative power to make you new. Mm -hmm. I didn't even... That was too good to be true. I never even heard that be presented to me, I don't think, or at least it, it just didn't make sense. I don't remember ever hearing it be presented that way, that he would, like, like clean you from the inside out and give you like, I didn't know what having a new heart meant or an, an identity in Christ. I'd never heard any of that stuff. I just kind of thought that, uh, like God would, he just created the, the world and made some people and was like, okay, I'll see you later. <laughs> like, 
do your thing. I'll call me when you need me or whatever, but you're on your own. That's because the gospel that people preach is the gospel of trying to get to heaven. Yeah. Not the gospel of a transformed life. Yeah. It's yeah. like the gospel of the blessing and the benefits and the insurance plan when you pass, but not being salt and light. Mm-hmm. Because we can't be salt and light because we're sinners mm-hmm. and we're destined to sin. And So you didn't hear that because that's not what's being preached, right? Right. Yeah. Which is half of the gospel, if, if half. Um, the the most important thing is like that he's obviously that he's freed us from our sin. Mm-hmm. So this was what year were you in high school when you're hearing this? I think that was uh, I think that was the summer between sophomore and junior year. I think either that or junior so, senior. What did it encourage in you? Did it just like God loves me? Um, what what manifested from this idea from this this time that you had spent with God, where He spoke to you about being His daughter? Uh, well, He no longer had His arms crossed. <laughs> he wasn't like turning His back on me or whatever. I, but I still didn't. It didn't dawn on me that like he thought that I was innocent and stuff because I was, I just thought he thought that because he wanted to think that like, that was the only way he could love me is if he looked at me as though I was innocent. So, uh, I felt like he wasn't as distant from me anymore, but I still didn't, I still was like wrestling with shame and guilt and like, uh, I was still feeling absolutely enslaved to sin and bad habits and pain and the the victim mentality that I picked up and like all all that stuff was still present. I just, now he wasn't as far away. Okay. I wanted to take a little break to tell you that I don't like Facebook, but I'm on there and I'm on there because we have the love reality gospel community on there and that is just a group of almost 3,000 people who uh, and growing who have received this truth and are growing in it and like I said I don't go on Facebook but if I'm there I'm in that love reality group and uh, there's so much life there's so much good stuff Um, so if you're vibing with us and you want to be a part uh, go to Facebook and look up Love Reality Gospel Community and, and and join. And then we can kick it. That's all I wanted to say. So what happened what happened next? Um I like I was like I just said like the the pain and stuff was still around so I continued to try and numb it with drinking at any opportunity or smoking or whatever it was um which just when you were doing those things did you feel like that was the real you or were you trying to make it to the real you did you really enjoy it or were you like I'm not sure if this is really me I had no clue who I was at all I don't know I just all I was thinking about when I was doing that kind of stuff was like 
I don't know what to do with this pain, so I'm just going to try and subdue it a little bit just so I can breathe. <laughs> it makes sense, right? Like if, if it feels terrible and you don't know where to go and how to, where to turn and you're just like, well, I guess I could see a therapist, but I don't have money. Yeah. Uh, and there's alcohol right here or drugs over here and yeah. they're cheaper and mask the problem. Mm-hmm. So as you continue going with that, what was there any plan moving forward or was there just, we're just going to try to get through? There was no plan. Yeah. I, I don't know. There wasn't a plan, but, uh, the next, like, major, well, so, all of the stuff that has happened in my life up to this point, plus all the drugs and everything that I was trying to use to help myself, which, you know, obviously doesn't help the situation, doesn't help my emotions or anything. I, I got really, really, really severely depressed. Um, to the point where I was seeing a psychiatrist, I was referred to a psychiatrist and, uh, he told me I was severely depressed and had severe anxiety. And so I think I was seeing him for about a year or so. I can't even remember because he had me on like, I forget five or six different medications. And I found out later on that some of those weren't even compatible together. You're not supposed to take them together. So it's kind of cool that I'm okay today, (laughs) but, um, they were all on like their maximum doses. And, uh, I don't even remember what all of them were, but they're, they're all for depression, anxiety. And one of them was Xanax, which, uh, on the prescription bottle, it would say four milligrams every four and a half hours more as needed. So I was just popping pills all the time, all day. And so I hardly remember my last bit of high school because I was just like a zombie. I had, I don't know. I don't even remember graduating or anything. Um, what are those pills like? What do they do? Like edu- educate me. Like how do they make you feel or what? what is, what's the purpose? Like how is it that they help with anxiety or depression? It's like a tranquilizer, basically. It just makes you, like, physically and mentally, everything, you just, everything just slows down and you just don't, it's like, you just don't, I don't know, you become relaxed and, like, you don't care about anything anymore. I don't know. Um, did you Did you like it? I, yeah, I liked that I didn't, I wasn't constantly, like, feeling pain or anything. I, I was feeling nothing pretty much, which and some to some degree was like worse. I would rather feel something than nothing, but it was all the times that I was drinking or smoking or whatever it was, I was trying to escape the pain. And so when I was being handed Xanax, like I was escaping the pain very effectively. <laughs> um, but yeah, luckily I, and I didn't think this at the time, <laughs> but Luckily, I finally got in trouble with it um, and wound up in jail because of it, because I had just turned 18. 
Um, and I was now a, what did they call it? I was part of the work crew of the Young Life summer camp that I mentioned earlier. Uh-huh. So I was like on like the whatever. I was like not on staff, whatever you would call it. I was like helping out at camp. Volunteer or something? Yeah, volunteering. And uh, I had just turned 18. I had just graduated high school. And some of the other work crew volunteers who were not 18 yet, still minors, wanted some of my Xanax. And so I gave them some, not realizing that my dose of Xanax was like astronomically high. Um, And they're okay, but like, luckily they're okay because the, um, the dose was very high and they were having like the nurses there, whatever said that like any bit more and they could have had a stroke practically, I think, or whatever. Like it was, they were, it was too much for them. So, and because we were out in the middle. Was this kind of the amount that you were used to taking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so the amount that you're taking given to a minor, just a, a year or two younger than you could cause serious damage to them, but you're taking it like, like this is just life. Mm-hmm. So when you get in trouble like what was that like was that really real were like because you were you just wanted to hook them up or were you like what was you're just like yeah here have some i didn't realize i mean i knew that i wasn't supposed to give them my medication but i did not realize that it was that that big of a deal (laughs) i didn't think that uh right i didn't understand the consequences of it like for myself or for them i didn't realize that my dose was that high or anything like that. I didn't know that the law wouldn't be involved. <laughs> if I had known all this stuff, I wouldn't have given them anything, but like, yeah. So, um, when they were well again, they said, you know, we're not going to tell anybody like what happened or like, we'll cover for you. And I was like, no, please don't do that. Like, I don't want to lie, you know, cause the law, it was told to me that the police were like on their way to like have a conversation with all of us. And so I said, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, I can't lie. I'm not, I don't want to lie, you know? Um, so I said, please don't lie. Just tell them what happened. And they lied anyway, but I told the truth. So I think we all got in trouble. But anyway, because, because I was um, legally an adult and everything, I was sent to jail for um, the distribution, distribution of illegal substances and endangerment of a minor. Um, and I was there for, I, I forget, like a little less than a month or so. Um, and I'm glad that all this happened because I weaned off of everything while I was there. (laughs) Whereas I wouldn't have been willing to do that before because I like needed my medicine, you know? They didn't allow you to take any depression or anxiety medication in jail? No. And I was having some pretty serious withdrawal symptoms for a little bit. Uh, some intense panic attacks where I actually thought that I was like dying. <laughs> and I remember uh, pressing like the red button in our cell that like, like the emergency button when this was happening and uh-huh. the medics ran over and they're like, what's going on? And I said, I, I don't know. I, I forget what I said. Like, my heart's beating too fast. I feel like I'm going to pass out. I don't know what's happening. And they went away and 
came back and handed me a pamphlet that was like how to reduce stress or something. I was like, this is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, eventually I like weaned off of it and actually became very peaceful because I kind of, I kind of treated it as like a retreat from life, I guess. I don't know. I was away from the world and whatever stresses were happening and, uh, I don't know, God just, maybe there was just no distractions around, but I felt like, I just felt like God was there with me and still not understanding who I really was and all this stuff, but I was just comforted to know that he was there and that I wasn't alone and that he like understood me and what I was going through and everything. Um, and Did it make you angry? What? Getting sent to jail? Um, no, because I actually felt really guilty because I, like I said, I didn't realize that my dose would have been that high for them. So when they like got so sick like that, I I felt really bad because I felt like I was responsible. And like the way that the judge and everybody was talking about it, like I was, you know, as though I was like, intentionally trying to hurt these kids or something and like what a monster I was for (laughs) like giving them my medication or whatever. And I I just, I felt really bad. So I didn't feel mad. I I felt like, you know, I, I I did this, you know, I was responsible. Wow. So was jail, you were able to just, I don't know. You just stick to yourself. There were there were no really problems or anything but outside of you uh, weaning off the medication. Yeah. And this is like, it's completely, uh, I don't know, miraculous, I guess. Because like I just said, I, I don't, I still at this point didn't understand anything about the gospel at all in my identity or nothing. But somehow I had an unbelievable amount of peace while I was in there. So much so that when uh, my youth leaders came to visit me one weekend, they like, I I still remember their facial expressions when they walked in the, you know, the room with the glass in between you and the phones that they can talk to you through. They like looked at me like they'd never seen something like that before. Like they were just, they said that I was like physically like glowing with something and they're just like I they can like visibly see the peace that I was feeling and so something was happening but I didn't I don't know how it, like that's why I say it's a miracle because uh I don't I don't I don't know <laughs> wow so you get out of there where where do you head uh like in life you mean or like literally yeah do you go into college like what was your future when you're getting out of there I just went back home. I don't remember if I was uh, going to the junior college at this time. Um, I I hadn't mentioned earlier that I started dating a guy um, towards the end of my senior year, I think, who he was diagnosed as a psychopath when he was seven, I think. And he had told me that when I first met him, but I didn't. I didn't believe him at all because I knew nothing of 
psychopaths. I only knew like, go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking like psychopath. You, the only thing you think of is like what? What is it like a movie? Is like a psycho. That's what, what is I was like actual? Too. What is an actual psychopath? Like what's the definition? Of, like by definition, I if I understand it correctly, it's somebody who like whatever part of the brain that allows you to feel the emotion of compassion or empathy is like malfunctioned somehow or something like that. So they don't really f uh, feel bad if they do something wrong to hurt somebody or whatever. That's why, like like you said, in the movies, psychopaths are always like a serial killer or something killer. because they don't, they don't think what they're doing. They don't see why it's wrong to do something like that, you know? So that's why I thought when he said he's a psychopath, I didn't believe him because that's what I thought a psychopath was, was somebody who kills people, you know? And I was like, he's like so charming and, you know, sweet and gentle I don't understand so I thought he was like misdiagnosed or something like that but when I started dating him I realized like it's actually there they can be really uh, emotionally abusive and uh, manipulative and they sort of just like slowly pull you away from friends and family and so that you're like you're only it's only you and that and them. <laughs> and then they, he would gaslight me and like, I just, I didn't know what was normal or what was okay, like, or up from down or left from right. I didn't feel like safe to ask others for help because I was so unsure of my own thoughts about everything because he would gaslight me into thinking that I was crazy for thinking things weren't okay <laughs> or something. So I just, uh, and the other thing too is like like what I would always describe our relationship like was the highs were really high and the lows were really low so I think there's multiple reasons I stuck around for as long as I did and one of them was because like he because he wants to keep me around he would uh do he would kind of just cater to me to make things really fun and, and exciting and whatever I'd like make me want to stay pretty much and then whenever he was not getting his way or whatever was happening he would just kind of blow up and uh it would get kind of scary but so after did you feel like you loved him um think so I don't know I mean I that's a good question I mean technically I didn't know what love was at the time because I didn't quite understand God's love for me but right like but you had deep care for him yeah I did but I was also oh. like terrified of him <laughs> so uh but yeah so after jail like I was just living life with him basically um and then he like this here's an example of like um how things were like the dynamic between us like i he had asked me around the time i turned 18 like if he he said do you see us being together in the future and i was like well yeah i mean i don't just date people to for like a certain time period and say okay we're done see ya you know like of course if things are going well, I assume we're going to be together in the future. 
And he said, okay, well, if that's the case, uh, should we get married? And I was like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we didn't, we're not, we haven't been dating that long. I'm barely 18. Uh, what about school? What about like uh, a house? Like, I don't, this is way too early for me to th even think about that, f no matter who it is that's asking me that question. Um, and we would argue about it, which should have been, I mean, it was a red flag, but I was ignoring it at the time, like arguing about the facts about like getting married and stuff. But, um, about, I don't know, half a year later or so, or a year later, he proposed to me anyway. And I was scared to say, I was terrified to say yes, but I was also terrified to say no, because I had been so far removed from like my normal life and people and friends and family and anything that I didn't know what else to do. And I was like scared of him if I'd said no. And so I said yes. And I had, I was like so hesitant to say yes, but I did. Um, but that only lasted like, I don't know, another six months. And my depression and everything was getting really bad again. So to the point where, oh, let me back up. So when I had depression, like in high school and, and everything, I would have like suicidal thoughts, but not the kind that I actually like was wanting to do it. It was just like wishful thinking, like, man, I wish I didn't have to feel this pain. It would be so much nicer if I wasn't here kind of a thing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I never, ever had any intention of like pursuing those thoughts or anything like that. Right. At this point in my life though, where, where I just mentioned it, my depression was getting bad again. Those thoughts were becoming more like aggressive in my mind. And that scared me because like, I felt like it almost felt like my brain was taking over my own will or something like I, at the core of me, I didn't want to die at all. I was scared to die, but it, Mm -hmm. my brain just was like, so it was suffering so much that it, like, anyway, the suicidal thoughts just became a lot more real and it was scary. And so I told my mom about it. Um, and she sent me to Weimar. I don't know if you're familiar with Weimar, but it's like, I'm a, familiar. Yeah. So I, I went to the depression recovery retreat there, which is, uh, I think it was a month long or three weeks long. Um, and it was a seven, it's a Seventh-day Adventist place for whatever listeners don't know that. And I was so frustrated with my mom for sending me there because I like, because I was hurt by the church, you know, when I was younger and like that lady with the earrings and whatever, just the whole idea that I had about like legalism and stuff. Like I, I just had such a stiff arm towards it. I didn't want to be anywhere near that stuff. So when my mom sent me to a SDA like retreat place, I was so irritated at first, but um, it really helped me out because we were supposed to meet with the chaplain when we first got there just to check in and like get to know him so that if we needed him as a resource, we could just pop in and talk. Mm -hmm. I went to his office. I think every day that I was there, like just, I wanted to talk to him about everything because he was the first person in my life, especially of 
any of the Seventh-day Adventists that I had ever known up until then that was willing to sit down and talk to me about, like, talk through all the questions that I had about anything, about God, about religion, about Seventh-day Adventism, about anything. Um, he didn't, like, condemn me for having questions or doubts or whatever. He was mm-hmm. He was open to talking about it. And so I was in there every day going over everything. And um, I had, I don't remember what we were talking about one day, but I must have felt like I was hitting a wall and not like breaking through somehow. And like with God and my proximity to him or whatever, my ability to hear him, something along those lines. And he said, well, maybe you should pray and ask him like what's in the way or what is the wall, you know, what's causing you to feel that way. And so I did pray later that day and uh, the guy I was engaged to, his name came up to my, in my mind. And so, and I felt so relieved because I didn't, I didn't want to be with him, you know, but I, like I said, I was scared Mm -hmm. to not, be with him or how to handle that. But once I felt like, you know, uh, I was encouraged to do it by somebody outside of myself or whatever, I was all over that idea. And so I, I broke up with him and, uh, enrolled into Pacific union college. Are you familiar with that school? Uh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Angwin, California. Mm hmm. Yeah, I was I was raised in Napa, so it was close by, and my parents went there, so it was just like a familiar place, I guess. So I enrolled. I wanted to uh, be a teacher. I just like you know, when, like when people get go through a crazy breakup and they like chop off all their hair mm-hmm. or get a tattoo or something. I was like doing that, except I'm gonna start my life over. I'm gonna go to school. I'm gonna do this and that or whatever. So that's kind of what that was. I enrolled into school. Um, and when I was at Weimar, I kind of had like what I thought was like some spiritual high, you know, I was having all these spiritual conversations with the chaplain and praying more and doing all these things and getting my life sorted out and whatever. So I kind of thought that, you know, from now on, because my circumstances are better, life will be better. I'm better. (laughs) And, but when I got to PUC, I, and I didn't have all of the people around me at like at Weimar, like telling me every single thing to do, you know, drink this much water, walk this many minutes a day, go to sleep at this time, whatever. <laughs> I just had free reign again. And I, I, you know, wasn't, I still didn't know my identity and anything like that. So I just went right back to what things were. And because, uh, even though it's a Christian school, I, and I expected like everybody was, going to be kind of like the people at Weimar, like kind of keeping me in line or whatever. But in reality, I was, it was, everything was wide open, accessible, all the parties, all the drinking, all the drugs, anything I wanted was just right there. And I dove in further than I ever had. Probably I was, it was, it was not good. My health was really bad because of it because basically for like a whole year straight I was getting no sleep I was like drinking like a fish and um 
getting into a bunch of different like situationships where I'm, you know, sleeping with guys and not, not in a, like not even dating or anything like that. Just, you know, friends with benefits or whatever you'd want to call it. And that doesn't feel good. You know, uh, I think I was doing it cause I was like, uh, the guy I was engaged to was so controlling. And I was like, if anybody's going to control the situation, it's me. So I'm going to use guys instead of them using me kind of a thing. Right. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just not a good time, but, um, one of my close friends and volleyball teammates had, has a cousin named Tyler who lives in Hawaii and, uh, he would see me on her story all the time and he was like, thought I was cute or whatever. And like, was always asking her like, who's your friend and stuff. And I would always, I would get so annoyed by that kind of thing. Like, if you want to talk to me, then talk to me. But like, I don't even Mm -hmm. know you. So why are you (laughs) trying to talk to me kind of thing? And, but he was really persistent and continued to try and talk to me for like well over a year. And eventually he was like, I'll fly you out here next time. Uh, Amanda, which is, who was my friend, um, and his cousin, he's like, next time Amanda comes out here, I'll fly you out with her so I can meet you. And I was like, haha, yeah, sure, okay. But thinking he was, you know, joking, like, of course he's not going to fly me out to Hawaii, but he did. And um, mm. we, we connected really well, but I was, in my mind, I was like, you know, like, where's this going to go? He's in Hawaii, I'm in California, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was really persistent. We, I mean, we, we, we started talking a lot more just over the phone and everything. And he came to visit me in California. We just like, were doing this, like visiting each other thing and talking. And I really started, he was the first guy that actually like, uh, he was the most respectful guy to ever associated with like all the other guys that I had known or affiliated with were always, you know, just using and abusing. Yeah. They're jerks. So he was like the first one that seemed to care more about me and not like what he can get from me kind of. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I really liked him for, I was starting to really like him for that. And, I don't know. So I, I gave him the time of day. I started, rather than just like rolling my eyes and saying, who are, who are you, this person from Hawaii? Like, I don't, I just actually started like, um, we connected more and more to the point where he ended up moving to California Oh wow! to be with me. And so we were, we were dating, um, living together with the cousin I keep talking about Amanda and her boyfriend. We shared an apartment together and we were, I wasn't at PUC anymore. I decided I was in a teaching program. I decided I didn't want to teach. I didn't even know what I was in school for. I didn't really care. Cause the only reason I went was because I had gone through that breakup and I just needed to change my life for a second, but I wasn't ready to go to right. school cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I stopped going to PUC. Even if I did want to go to PUC, we couldn't afford it anyway. Cause 
to live in California is ridiculously expensive. And so, um, we, I was working at two jobs to just pay for the apartment and everything. And, uh, he, he moving away from home was hard in, a, in and of itself. His best friend died while he was in California with me. And uh, he had kind of been raised with, like, not from a, like, any Christian lens or denomination or whatever. He didn't, he wasn't raised to believe in anything. But just from a worldly perspective, I guess, the, he was, he was raised very performance driven and, you know, your reputation is what matters most and your status and your, how many dollars you have and what kind of car you have and like that kind of thing. So when he spent all that money to uproot himself and come to California, he lost a big chunk of money and he was just expecting to earn it all back in California. But because it's so expensive to live there, he wasn't making as much as he thought he would, or at least it wasn't going as far as he expected it to. So he was sort of having mm-hmm. his own identity issue. Like if he wasn't making enough money, then he wasn't like good enough himself. So he wasn't feeling too great. <laughs> uh, right. And we were, and at this, at this point, my, I think I was attaching my own identity or at least part of it onto our relationship where if we were going okay, then I was doing okay. But if we weren't, then I was a mess. And so when hmm. he was struggling, we were struggling and then I was struggling because we were struggling because he was struggling and it was just kind of dogpiling. It was getting worse and worse, um, spiraling downhill. And he decided he wanted to move back to Hawaii. Um, and at the last second he like said, but I, but you can come too." you know, I, for, I thought we were like, you know, parting ways. He was, he was breaking up with me and it was a hard, horrible time for me at that point. And, but then he was like, well, maybe we can make it work and you can live with me. And so I went to Hawaii also. And um, he started to feel at least somewhat better because he was in a comfortable place with his home near his family. Um, at his normal job, making the same money he was before, things were getting better for him. Uh, therefore, like if he was happier, then I felt happier. And or at least to some degree, I, I had always thought that, you know, like, as you've heard, most of my life has been like, the circumstances weren't great. And so I always thought, like, I just had hope, like, as soon as these circumstances get better, then I'll be fine. And then another thing would happen. And then I think, well, as soon as this is over, then I'll be fine. And it just kept going like that. And when I was there in Hawaii, I, like kind of away from all my circumstances I my circumstances started to look better I don't know I like I was making good money at a job and uh my relationship to my family was better and I was you know living in a really really beautiful place and I was dating one of the most respectful guys I'd ever met and on paper everything looked so good Mm-hmm. Like in my standards, my life looked perfect, and yet 
I still felt like I wasn't totally, like I still felt like there was an emptiness in my heart that couldn't feel, like I felt like I was only like 70% happy and there was a whole lot of room hmm. for me to like experience something better and I didn't understand how that could be if all of this time, my whole life, I've been waiting for my circumstances to look okay and then here they are looking okay and I was still not feeling good and I was like, what the hell is going on? Right. And um, I think at that point, like my heart was seeking God and I realized like my heart, it's like as if my heart knew that the only thing that was going to fix that problem for me was God. And even though I wasn't like intellectually thinking this or praying to him to, you know, do something about this or whatever, I, I think my heart was just kind of ready for it. Um, and so I just was going about living my life, still drinking, still smoking, whatever. I got really into, uh, vaping, which I tried to quit over and over and over and over and over and over and I couldn't do it. Um, that's just a significant part for later. But there's one day that I just randomly, seemingly randomly, one day I was, um, driving from Kona back to home, which is about an hour drive. Um, Tyler's car needed fixing in Kona. And so I drove him down in my car. He picked up his car and then we were both driving back. And so I was driving mm -hmm. back alone and, um, I was just driving along, listening to whatever music I was listening to. And, um, I had this like thought that wasn't my own thought come into my mind, telling me to play this, the, the revelation song. And That's the jam. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew that it wasn't of me because at that time in my life, I was like, so not into worship music, uh, not only because like being exposed to like godly things or whatever would make me feel exposed for the life I was living, but also, hmm. um, worship music just like on its own, I didn't really like anyway, because it, to me back then it was like, oh, it's just so repetitive and boring and whatever. Like, cause I would, I was like into EDM and stuff. So it was like very different. Um, so I knew it wasn't my own thought to just play a worship song. So assuming that it was God, I was like, I better like play this song. So I played it and it's, I don't know. It just really like, opened my eyes to see like how big and powerful God was and like who he is. I, I don't know the whole song, like when it talks about how all of creation is like praising him and he like, mm -hmm. I was like, man, he's everywhere. He's, he's the cause of every, I don't know. I just saw how big he was. And then once I could kind of see who he was then I felt like he, um, the way I've explained it before, because it, it's hard to like put into words how he like what he was communicating to me, because it wasn't really like word for word how he was talking to me. It almost was like he had a a USB port that he just plugged into my heart and just like downloaded all this stuff into my heart. But mm. um, what it was was like he was showing me like 
who I um, had thought that I was and then hmm. put it right next to like who I actually am in him and because of him or who he said that I am. And seeing the contrast was like very eye-opening and it it answered everything for me because I realized like who I was before or how I felt before is not actually me. It was just like who I thought that I was, but it's not true. And so, hmm. um, yeah, it was, it was a really emotional, wonderful <laughs> car ride home. And, but anyways, when I, while all this was happening and I was singing this revelation song and praying and crying and hearing what he was telling me and all this stuff, uh, during all this, I, I saw my vape on the passenger seat mm-hmm. and I was, this is like the first time that I had ever felt convicted of something without shame or guilt or fear or anything like that. I just, and this is the first time I actually like understood what surrendering meant or submitting. I don't know. I, I just, I prayed and I was like, God, I've tried to quit. And the vape is not, it's not just the vape. Like the vape is like representing my whole entire life of sin, basically. But I was using the vape as a, just as a, the image of all this. I, I said, you've, you know that I've tried to quit this time and time again, and it's never been successful. It might've been successful for like a week or so. And then I, you know, I'd fall right back into it and I'm frustrated. And I said, I, the reason that I can't quit successfully is because although there's part of me that genuinely wants to stop, there's another part of me that I can't conquer that doesn't want to stop. And I said, the only way that I'm going to be able to live better is if you give me a new heart that wants to live that way, like through and through wants to live that way. And, um, after I prayed that, I just felt peace because I trusted that it was true. And even though like the physical like cravings for the vape specifically didn't go away immediately and I was still using it Mm -hmm. for like, I, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like another month or so, I still like just knew that that prayer was answered and that it was going to like, I don't know how to explain. Like, I just, I trusted that he had given me a new heart already and then I, it was already taken care of and it was already conquered. And then the more I like, uh, really truly believed that, I guess, uh, eventually I, I remember I was sitting on the couch and I was vaping, I was watching TV And as I was like hitting the vape, I was like, I don't, why am I even doing this? I was like, I don't even want this anymore. And I just threw it away and I never wanted it again. And that same goes for any other bad habit. Was that the last time you used a vape pen or was that the last time? Uh, Until this year, a few months ago, uh, somebody had one and I tried it. I was just like curious to, I guess, remember what it was like or something. I don't know. It was stupid. I was like, what did you find out when you used it? That I didn't want it. <laughs> I still <laughs> didn't want it. You're like, yeah, that's not me. Yeah. 
Exactly. That's awesome. That's super awesome. Yeah. Um, and then that's when, so after this like car ride and everything, um, I had remembered my mom had been trying to get me to watch LRT for like well over a year, probably. But like How'd I said, she, get before, into it? she was there for, I think it was wave two, I think in Santa Rosa. Oh, one it, year. It, oh, in Santa Rosa. That's right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like I said about like the worship music thing before, beforehand, I, I just, anything godly or whatever, I just didn't, I felt exposed by it. So I didn't, I just kind of closed my ears to it. So she had been trying to get me to listen to all this stuff and I wasn't really into it until this moment now. And then I remembered her talking about LRT. And so I found it on YouTube, the PVC playlist of, I watched all of wave one and wave two and everything. I watched it over and over and over. Um, and I got to do this because it was like right when COVID started and I lost my job. And so I just stayed at home. all day. What was hitting you when you're watching like wave one, like freedom from sin? What was hitting you? Um, just the fact that we're free from sin. Like I'd never heard that before, first of all. And like when Jonathan was explaining what sin actually is, like not being like trading the truth for a lie kind of, you know, that mm-hmm. sin as like sinning or making bad choices or whatever you want to call it is just like the manifestation of like the ultimate sin, which is in the heart, like the lawlessness, right? Yeah. So yeah, that was like the biggest thing that hit me and that completely undid everything that I used to believe growing up. Cause I had this faulty idea before where you had to like work your way up to God's love or you had to do things right in order for him to love you or in order to get to heaven or whatever. Like it was all about fear of punishment and you better obey or else kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, that's what hit me the most from wave one. And then from wave two, uh, being free from the sins committed against you, that was really important for me because, um, like I'd said before, all the circumstances that I had gone through earlier on in my life were all like things done to me or against me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was always a victim to the pain that they caused me and stuff. And I, I didn't, not very often anyway, would I like hold on to those events in anger, but it was certainly, I was holding on to them like as a victim, you know, I was always in pain. I would, I just was like chronically in pain for all the different things that people have done. And so that was such a weight off my shoulders when I learned that like, you don't have to hold on to, you don't have to hold on to pain, you know, like, I don't know, like the reason that this was able to click for me was that now that I was able to see myself the way that God sees me, I'm able to now see others the way God sees them, like for who they really are and the way that they treated me not only is it not a correct reflection of my value, but it's also not a correct like representation of who they are either. Or like, in other mm. words, they're not what they do. Like 
the thing, the verse that always came to my mind was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, mm. when Jesus is on the cross. And so, like, I've, I'm able to look back at all the things that had happened to me and the people that had caused pain. And I can say, like, now I feel compassionate for them rather than hurt and, like, weakened by them or something. Because they, if they only knew how loved they were or who they were, in Christ and they wouldn't have done those things. And so then I just feel, you know, bad for them. So yeah, that was people think forgiveness, like you have to try to forgive, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't sound like you're trying to forgive. It sounds like you've received the truth about your forgiveness and now you're looking at people differently. Yeah. And that's a hundred percent what it was like before. I, I thought that I was like the most forgiving person in the world because like all these bad things that happened to me and look at me, I'm not holding any anger towards any of them and whatever. But really what was happening is I was like sweeping it under the rug and just pretending like maybe it didn't happen just so that I can be nice to you. (laughs) But it wasn't actually like, yeah, I wasn't actually, it wasn't actually forgiveness. It was just like ignoring the pain, I guess. Hmm. Wow. So then, what did you, did you feel like after listening to all this stuff and having this experience in the car, like you've been living your whole life and now all of a sudden all of this truth about God is hitting you all at once? Like, what was that like? Um, Yeah, the truth about like just being able to see him clearly for who he really is, his character and his love and everything. And as a result, being able to see me for who I am all hit me at once. Um, and then that's like, you know, the foundation for my new life and freedom. And then since then, there's just been like little lessons here and there, like teaching me and maturing me as I go. And I think the first thing that, um, that he had taught me was when I moved to Idaho was like, I, like I could, I knew that he loved me and how he loved me and everything, but I was not necessarily like my, he wanted, he wanted my focus to be put onto others now. Like, okay, this is what love looks like for others. And, um, there's this guy on Instagram called, his name's John Kennedy Vaughn. I think he's like this guy who he's always in his garage and he like holds up a piece of paper with like the topic of the short video and then he'll like talk about it and it's always about love usually it's about love and something that he's like a phrase that he said that had resonated me from the start is that um love is doing what's best for another person without any regard for yourself and so it's like self-sacrificial it's not it's looking for others best interest and it has nothing to do with what you gain from it or anything and it's not like um, self like deprecation def- or whatever. Like, it's not like putting yourself down or saying, you know, I'm not worthy of it's not thinking less of yourself, right? It's thinking of yeah. yourself less. It's putting someone else first. Exactly. Not thinking you're trash. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, and that was a really fun time, I guess, with the Holy Spirit teaching me that because it made, I mentioned earlier, I'm very introverted and it's not that I was ever like 
not liking people. It's just I I never like had a whole lot of fun, I guess, like being around. I, I don't like seek to go out and like hang out with people or whatever. But now I like people are just fun to me now. I just I, I'm still introverted. That didn't change or anything. But like I I enjoy people differently now mm. that I get to love them the way God loves them. You know, I can see them for who they are and everything. So that was a really sweet thing that he taught me. Um, And close to love and relationship was forgiveness, which I already kind of explained. That was like the next thing he taught me. I had heard it from wave two LRT, but, um, and it was significant then, but then he just kind of like really expounded on that. Um, After I moved here to Idaho, he was like, teaching me like you, you don't have to be offended by people so hmm. so as you've been walking this thing out do any of like we talked about the vape pen we talked about what you've been learning what do you do when it doesn't feel like all of these things are true even though you know that they're true that's uh another thing he had to teach me at some point because i ran into that issue where I mean, naturally, because we still have feelings, but I didn't, I wasn't sure what to do with feelings yet. So I was like, these feelings would come and I would, since they're feelings that don't feel good, I assumed that they were bad or wrong or like almost as though they're shameful. Cause you know, when you're ashamed, you hide. So I'd have these feelings right. and then I would like keep them separate from my relationship with God, so to speak you can't really keep anything separate, but like in my mind, I I was keeping them separate and I wasn't bringing them to in prayer or anything like that. I just, I didn't know what to do with them. So I just like kind of let them build up on the side. Uh, And obviously that's not, it's just going to cause you to like, it's just going to build on top of each other until it explodes, you know? So, and that's basically what ended up happening where um, there was one night that I was driving home late and I was praying and my prayers were like, uh, they felt and sounded stressed and like restricted and like awkward. And I was like, not sure how to pray because I knew that I needed help, which is why I was praying. But Uh I knew, or at least I thought that I knew that I shouldn't need help. So like, because I should have this all figured out already and I shouldn't be feeling these things. So I was like in this weird, like, I don't know, trying to get help without actually admitting I needed help kind of thing. And then um, God was just like, Lindsay, it's okay to feel. And having that permission was like, I just like broke down and then everything, you know, I was like word vomiting all the things that I was feeling. And, um, but anyway, like the, the big takeaway that I had from that, experience was that feelings aren't like some kind of flaw about you or anything. It it doesn't make you faulty. Um, and that feelings are, I heard this from somebody, I don't remember who feelings are good indicators, but they're not dictators. Like they, right. they can indicate where there's where, where redirecting might need to happen or something, but it's not dictating the truth of God's word in your life or about you or, 
about your experience or circumstance or anything like that. So anyway, so feelings will come, but now I know that not only do I have good company with God, I can talk, I can be real with him about that, but also that my feelings, although they could, they, they have the ability to feel like really big or strong or painful or whatever it might be, it doesn't come anywhere close to like how big and real the truth is. So, um, I've, I've found that when our paradigm shifts and we start thinking about things a different way, the feelings that we used to have don't come up anymore. And, and I'll tell you why, because feelings come from thoughts. Exactly. Thoughts That's, come first. Yeah. And so like, let's say you used to be really upset at your friends and it really felt bad when your friends let you down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your paradigm shifts and you see what love is. And now like you don't expect anything from them. And this is a crazy idea. Why does Jesus call us friend? Is it because we were good enough friends that he's like, okay, now I call you friend. No, he calls us friend because he is our friend. Mm-hmm. And so like when our, when our mind changes and now we're friends with, you know, some, this person over here because we love them, not because they earned our friendship, mm-hmm. then they don't get put in this position to hurt you. Right. Because your life is for them. Your love is for them. And so if they do something, they're not in a position to hurt you. And so that feeling doesn't come up. Because I'm convinced that Jesus never battled the feeling of feeling sorry for himself. Yeah. Because he was love. He laid his life down. His life was for other people 100% of the time. And so because his life was for others, he didn't run the risk of being like having us hurt him. Mm-hmm. When he was hurt, it was for us. He was not hurt by us. Yeah. He was hurt for us when we didn't believe in him. When we didn't believe he was going to, and when I talk about the apostles, they didn't believe he was going to raise on the third day. Like He cries in front of Jerusalem like, oh man, this city's going to be torn down. He cries with Mary and Martha because they're like, I'm about to raise Lazarus and they don't even believe me. Mm-hmm. And so... When our mindset changes and now our lives are lived for other people, those feelings that used to trip us up, they don't, they're not really around anymore. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was, when I talk about like bad feelings or whatever, I'm talking about like, you know, grieving the loss of a loved one or something like that. Like just not feelings yeah. like, somebody hurt me and I'm upset with them or something like I, that's another, along with the learning how to love and to forgive and all these things. That's another thing that I had learned is that feelings come from thoughts, thoughts come from beliefs. And so like what you believe influences the way you think and influences the way you feel. And then it influences the way you behave or whatever, what comes out of you starts from inside of you. Um, So now I recognize, so what happens is when I'm feeling bad in the way that you're talking about feeling bad, I know that that's Mm -hmm. an indicator that I'm thinking something wrong. And then that's when I bring it to God instead of hiding it from him, I pray and I'm like, help me to recognize what I'm 
thinking wrong so that I can change the way I'm thinking so that I can, you know, and then I won't feel whatever it is that I'm feeling right now. I love it. I love it. Is there something else you want to share with us about as you've moved to Idaho and as this truth is just settling in as like, this is my belief system. This is what I believe Christ and him crucified. And that's the lens I see my life through. Is there something else that you wanted to, to share with us? Um, well, I've, yeah, I could just wrap it up in all one package because I've, I've like talked about all these like individual things that he's taught me, but it all wraps up in this same idea that like, there's nothing like it's, he's a, he's, it's a finished work that I've been grafted into and there's nothing that I can add to my identity or take away from my, my identity, nothing that I ever feel or think or do or anything can undo what he has done. And so even if I ever do struggle with any, anything like that, that I, I, I still have peace anyway, because I know that his truth is true regardless of what I don't know yet or anything like that or what I'm forgetting or anything. It's just, I have so much confidence in him now for being the author of my life that nothing can rob me of that peace that I can just be who I am because he's made me this way. <laughs> so. If, if you could tell, talk to someone who's gone through some of the things that you've gone through, from your early life into your teenage years and has experienced similar things and similar feelings, what would you tell them about who they, who they are in Christ? Um, I would be sure to let them know that however people have treated them is not a reflection of who they are. And that when God says that he loves you it's because it's not because he's like pitying you or thinking like he's not like trying to love you or just merely choosing to love you he's he loves you because you're lovable and because he is love and that you are valuable despite how others have treated you or despite what your life looks like or anything Thanks so much for coming on. I love your story, and I think that it's just going to keep doing what these stories do. People see your life change, your good fruit, and they glorify your Father in Heaven. So thank you so much, Lindsay. I appreciate you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Got me singing like... Got me singing like glory... Yeah, it got me telling my story Know that your love is pouring on me uh, And love is pouring on me River flowing in and never ends More than life, more than me, more than just pretend And you can feel in freedom from within Freedom fly, be the child that you've always been yeah. This hey, episode was like brought to you by gospel-loving listeners just like yourself If you want to ensure more of these stories are heard by people And help build season three of the show and beyond We'd ask that you please give to our building fund 
that's helping support the future of the podcast. It takes equipment and software and time and all that good stuff to make this an amazing listening experience for your ears. So we just ask that you help pay it forward like the person before you did to keep these amazing stories of God's transformative love rolling. You can go to lovereality.org slash give and choose death to life as the option to help us keep reaching more people and ensuring more episodes. Thank you so much, guys. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Singing like